Morning, everyone. Hope you're all doing well. Um, very warm welcome to you. Glad that you've made it here this morning. Um, we are going to be... Hello. Good morning. <laughs> Do you want to say good morning to everyone? Good morning, everyone. There we go. Feels like school assembly. It does, doesn't it? Uh, we're going to be talking from uh, the Book of Acts this morning. We've been going through a series from, uh, uh, through the Book of Acts. Uh, so if you have a Bible with you, if you want to find Acts chapter 4... Uh, we'll read the passage to you in a moment or two. Uh, one of the reasons that we decided this year to work through the book of Acts is the book of Acts tells the story of, of the church, of, as we see it in the New Testament anyway, the first church that is started after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. He told his disciples in Acts chapter 1 to wait for the promised Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes on the people of God, what happens is they go out into the world around them, uh, and what they do is they start planting churches, um, communities of believers, just like us here in Amsterdam. They spread all across uh, the Mediterranean and the Middle East, and the book of Acts tells a sort of 30-year story of what God does as the gospel through his people, the church spreads out through that area. And what you get as well as you go through this story is you begin to pick up some of the distinctives of what these churches were like, of what they did, what they valued, what was important to them, the sort of churches they were trying to build. And it has some lessons for us of the sort of church we want to be. So in particular, what we want to talk about today is, is prayer that we see uh, this church or these churches that begin to get started take prayer, take seeking God in prayer really seriously. So, do you want to read? Yeah, thanks. To us. So it's great when you turn up to speak and you don't have your Bible with you, so I'll just borrow yours. It's all good. Okay, so we're looking from Acts chapter 4. I get to say it, and the words have appeared as if by magic as if by already. Magic on the there we go. And um, we're going to read from verse 23 together. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, among with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is life to us. We thank you that you 
continue to speak today through this book. And we do just ask this morning by your spirit that we would know you very close to us and that we would hear your voice, that we would know you speaking to our hearts, that you would be bringing peace to our hearts and our minds. And just as your hand was at work in the times of Acts, we thank you that your hand is at work today. And so we say we look to you, we trust you. Would you come and speak to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a great privilege in this church, Liberty Church here in Amsterdam, that we get to meet in this amazing building, the Vondelkirk. Um, I don't know if you know much about this building, but it has a bit of a story behind it. It was originally uh, designed and built by uh, the same architects that built Central Station and built the Rijksmuseum. He built this to be his own church. He was a Catholic and he built his own house just up the road and this was the place where he came to worship uh, and that was about 150 years ago. But the congregation that met here, the church family that were here, they, they stopped gathering to worship um, about 40 years ago, just at the end of the 1970s. Uh, and then for a long time, this church was, was derelict. It was empty. Uh, they deconsecrated it as a, as a place of worship. Um, and squatters would sleep in here. Um, the Gemente talked about whether they should just knock the whole thing down. Uh, and some local residents in the neighborhood petitioned to, to keep the venue alive. And then eventually it was brought and is now owned by a, a trust who we, we rent it from every Sunday so that we can worship here. And one of the privileges is privileges that we have is that we get to bring this building back to its original purpose because of the rest of the week um, through Monday through to Saturday this place they have conferences and lots of different events and concerts and exams all sorts of different things happen in this building but here on a Sunday morning every week we get to come and bring back this building to its original purpose we get to come and worship God here um, and as we were talking about a few weeks ago, this building isn't the church. The church is the people of God. But in a city like this, it feels like a privilege to be able to bring back this building to its original purpose. And that's partly what's taking place in the book of Acts, is that Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit upon his people. And now what they're attempting to do is to bring the people of God back to their original purpose. We were talking last week about how Jesus in Matthew 21 went into the temple and said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer, but it's become a den of robbers. And he was quoting from the book of Isaiah, where it says this in Isaiah 56, I'll bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. See, the temple in Jerusalem, that's why it was built. The same way this building was built for believers to come in here and worship God. The temple in Jerusalem was built with the same purpose in mind. It was built to be a place of worship. That was God's design, that his house was to be a gathering place where worshippers from all the nations be able to come in and pray and seek God together.
But as Jesus pointed out in Matthew 21, that the temple had lost its way, that that wasn't happening anymore. And in the book of Acts, what Jesus is doing now is he's saying that era of the temple of some house in Jerusalem is now over, where the presence of God dwells is in his people, the church. This is where the Holy Spirit dwells, where the, we can meet with the living God is amongst his people. And as some of the distinctives of that, of the people of God, with God, with us, is we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to pray. And so at the very heart of what it means to be a church is that the church prays. And if the church isn't praying, then the same way that Jesus would go into the temple and say, this is just a den of robbers. If Jesus was to come in here and find, well, you, your church, you don't pray? We wouldn't really be a church. We'd be falling far below what we're supposed to be like. And that's our heart as a, a team of leaders in this church, is we want to build a church where people pray. Yeah. Uh, and we know prayer is hard and it's challenging to pray personally, individually is sometimes a battle, a fight. To pray together corporately can sometimes feel like wading through treacle. But we believe when we pray, we meet with God. We believe when we pray, God moves. And perhaps the best way you could sum up our desire is to quote from, from David, who in Psalm 27, he says this, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's at the heartbeat of what we want to see happen in our church and in our lives, is that we seek to dwell in the house of the Lord that we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and we inquire in his temple, we bring our requests, our desires to him and see him move. So what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna look at seven different points of how the church should pray. And first of all, what we see here in this story in Acts 4 is the church responds to challenge in prayer. It responds to difficulty, to trial, to suffering, what the church does in response to that here in Acts 4 is it prays. And the prayer that you see in Acts 4 here that Joe just read to us is an echo of a prayer that King Hezekiah prays in Isaiah 37. In Isaiah 37, there's some invaders that are coming in to Israel. They're, gonna, they're threatening to come into Jerusalem to, to take the temple, to overthrow the king. And he prays a prayer very similar to this as he just comes and he praises God for who he is and he asks God to stretch out his hand and to move. You see, because the context of this story, if you were here last week, you may remember, don't worry if you don't, but Peter and John, who are two of the leaders in this church, they've been hauled before the leaders, uh, the religious leaders in, in Jerusalem and have been told to stop what? to stop their activities. They've been healing people, they've been doing all sorts of things, and they're told to stop. Now, that might seem like a small thing, but these are the same religious leaders that conspired against Jesus to have him crucified. So you could imagine, this is just a few weeks later, you imagine the fear in their hearts of, goodness, what's gonna happen? 
We've been told, what happens if we carry on? What happens if we ignore their threats? Well, the same thing that happened to Jesus happened to us. But what they do in response to that is they pray. <laughs> they come and they seek God. That's an important lesson for us is that in all sorts of different situations in our life, whether corporately together as a church or individually, we face moments of suffering, of trial, of challenge, of difficulty. Maybe if you're facing something in your life right now that feels a challenge to you, our encouragement would be just to bring it to God in prayer. Seek him and ask him to move. It's easy for you to perch on the stool. It's like I have to like climb into <laughs> the stool. Do you want me to stool. get a smaller one? No, I'm just maybe just going to sit on the edge of the stage. Um, anyway, so secondly, um, they, they declare praise to God. They come, and it is such a fitting response for us that actually when we come to pray, their first words, their first utterances are sovereign Lord, just recognizing who he is. So when we come in our, as Matt says, in our trials, oh, you skipped one. You did skipped I? together. I've oh, just did I miss cut your point. point. I'll just, you know, you can come back to that. Right. We pray the... together. <laughs> point done. Carry on. And as we pray together, <laughs> we do it in praise and in looking to God. He is the sovereign one. It says in that verse, sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Nothing is out of his control. Nothing is out of his gaze. And so it's such a fitting response that we acknowledge who he is. We come and declare that he is God, that he is good, that he is worthy of all praise and adoration. We come and acknowledge what he's already done. He's sovereign. He's all powerful. He's over all things. He's spoke and the world came into being. I was sharing from a psalm last week that as he utters, the earth melts. There's power in his name. There's authority. We're coming to one who has authority over everything. And we remind our own hearts as we come and say, Sovereign Lord, we're coming and saying to our own hearts, remember who he is. Remember who we're coming and asking from. Remember who we're praying to. We're not coming to one who is weak and unable. We're coming to one who is the Sovereign Lord. And we remind ourselves, but also when, like individually, but when we come together, when we gather like on things like Wednesday night, we're declaring who he is and reminding each other's hearts because we forget. I don't know about you, but I forget who God is and where he is. I come and I've made Jesus really tiny in my mind. And then I'm like, oh no, we're coming to the sovereign Lord, the one who is above everything. And so when we corporately pray, we can encourage one another, build faith in one another because we're reminding each other who he is and what he's done. And we see this, as Matt's mentioned already, modeled in scripture. When Hezekiah prays, he says, oh Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. They come and just say, he's above all things. There's nothing that's gonna usurp God from his throne. There's nothing that's gonna be like, he's gonna get thrown by. We can look today, even like my iPad is pinging, like news-like things of like what's going on in Ukraine. And we can be like, what? 
How are we even meant to pray for that? But it's like, he is God in heaven. He's not missing a thing. And um, again, Hannah in Samuel, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. We have to remind our hearts who we're coming to. Um, David in Psalm 30, I will extol you, O Lord, not myself, not my own preferences, not what I think should be happening, but you alone. And Jesus as well, when he teaches his disciples to pray, he's our Father in heaven. We're coming to the sovereign Lord who's above all things and yet intimately invites us into this incredible relationship that we get to come and call him Father. And then it says, hallowed be your name. Yours is the name above every name. And then Jen Wilkin, who is a very favorite person of mine, (laughs) written some brilliant books. If you haven't read them, I recommend you do. But she talks about the Lord's Prayer being a beautiful model of prayer, of submission to a divine authority. We're submitting our hearts and saying, do you know what? I'm admitting that I'm weak in this, that I can do nothing apart from you, but actually we come and we submit to the one who is sovereign. And then carrying on from that, we, um, fourthly, we use scripture to help us pray. And it may seem like a really obvious thing to say, but to use scripture to pray, you need to know some scripture. So let me encourage you, get into your Bibles. I know it can be a discipline. I know sometimes it can feel like I'm just reading words and it's a bit dry, but actually they give us power to fight. They give us truth to stand on when we're being rocked by all the things that are going on around us. They are a firm footing and they can be trusting. And um Verses that I've been turning to this week, as well as kind of Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And then it goes on to say, be still and know that I'm God. Also, there's in two Chronicles, and I can't remember which army was being faced off, but there's one line in it, which I come back to time and time again, when I'm kind of praying back to God is like, I don't know what to do but my eyes are on you. And so we just come back to truths like that, like we don't know what to do. So often we feel so ill-equipped to even do the thing that is in front of us to do, but we can come and say, God, our eyes are on you. And Jesus did it in Matthew. He was tempted by the devil and he was like, it is written, it is written. He quotes scripture time and time again when he's tempted by Satan, he's like, actually, no, this is what's true. This is the thing that I'm standing on. This is the thing that I'm putting my hope in. We get to armor up in Ephesians 6. It tells us to put on the full armor of God. And so in that, we pick up the sword of the spirit, wielding it in faith, saying, actually, this is the thing that I'm believing in. This is the thing that I'm trusting to be true. And I don't know about you, but my heart is like swayed and rocked all over the place by things that happen. And it says in um, Hebrews 17 that our hearts are deceitful above all else. And that sounds a little harsh, but actually they are. They're movable and they wander around. And yet we need the truth of the gospel, the truth of scripture, just to keep steadying ourselves in that. And we can also pray scripture back to God. We can also come and say, hey God, you said this. And so I now wanna see you work that out. You've said you'll heal the sick. You said you'll open blind eyes. You said that you'll bring salvation, you'll bring peace. And so I wanna come and say, you've said this God, so now let me see it happen. Let me, as I come in my humility and my submission to your authority, just say, you've said God. And so I wanna believe you for that. And um, just a couple of practical things. I don't want to be super practical because I think sometimes when we hear talks, preachers about prayer, we can then be like, oh, 
I've got to pray more. And like go away and do like a list of things to do, a little check off. Like our heart this morning is that Jesus would capture our hearts so that it's like, what else would we do but talk to you? What else would we do but want to have communion with you and getting to talk with you? But one thing that I do that helps is just in the morning, I just write out like one or two verses and then just pray off the back of that, just allowing the Holy Spirit just to come and make truth alive for me. You may have other things that you do. Let me encourage you to keep doing them because it serves us. And um, yeah, it causes us to grow in faith and trust of him as we read truth. Simo. I missed a point. So we pray together. That's what happens in this story. it says that when Peter and John were released, they went to their friends. So they went back to the church family, their friends, reported what had happened. And it says, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. I think that's such an important yeah. model for us. Is It's obviously important to develop your own prayer life with God. He's your friend. He's your father. If you want to have a good relationship with someone, you want to talk to them. We get to personally do that with God, talk with God, walk with him, speak with him. But it's healthy as well to learn how to pray with other people. One of the most important things that Joe and I do in our marriage is we've learned, we've been married for nearly 20 years, so it's taken us a long time to get there, but we've learned how to pray together. So most mornings we'll wake up before the kids wake up and we'll pray together. And It's not normally a particularly dramatic time, it's often quite sleepy and fueled by coffee, but we see God together. But, and we found that when we do that, it brings a, a unity in, in our marriage, in our family. And the same is true within the church. When the church gathers and prays together, there's a sense of unity that comes. When you pray with someone, you get to glimpse something of their heart. You get to hear the things that they're passionate about the things that they want to see happen. And you'll find your heart will draw to them as that happens. When you pray with other believers, there's a sense of faith that rises. So that's why we take prayer together seriously as a church. That's why we're going to gather on Wednesday night to worship, to praise, as Joe's been talking about, and to seek God together. For us here, prayer is its the heartbeat of our church. It's the driving force behind the people of God is to come in prayer and seek him. And then jumping ahead to point number five, we pray because it's important for our mission. It says here in this story, after they prayed, it says, and they carried on praying, they said, and now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Although they've been under threat, under attack, they've kind of hidden together and decided to pray, their heart is they want to take this out into the world around them. They want to continue to speak of what they've seen, of what they've heard with boldness. And this is true for us as well. We want people in our city to know about Jesus and how that starts how how we're most successful in any mission that God's called us to do is in prayer because we can't 
save anybody. I don't know if you've tried to do that, but we don't have that ability within ourselves. Only God can save. So it's important we seek him in prayer for his mission and what he's called us to do. Um, yeah, um, the next point is that we pray in faith. Um, so I've already kind of touched on this a little bit, just like going back to scripture and just reminding God of who he is and what he's done. But also says, um, so Matt just read this, but while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And so there's just such reassurance for our hearts today that as we step out in faith, as we are obedient, just in the things that God gives us to do, the small whispers of the Holy Spirit, just encouraging us to pray for certain people, for certain things, that God is at work, that God is moving. We sing a song sometimes that he's way maker, miracle worker, and that he's always working. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, we can trust that he's at work because he's faithful to who he says he is. He can't do anything but be God because it's in his nature. He can't do anything but be good. He can't be anything but be working signs and wonders. And we get to join in with that. And so we can be stretching our faith muscles in prayer. Um, I remember being really provoked one time that like you won't, someone just was speaking about prayer and healing for the sick. It's like, you won't see anyone get healed unless you pray for them. Like, I'm gonna see more miracles by stepping into them than I will by just, you know, hoping for the best. Like God is so kind in catching us up and using us in his plans and purposes in, um, in bringing healing to people. He could do it without us. He can do all things. He is God in heaven, but he chooses to use us. He chooses to draw us in, to bring us in. And so we can trust that as we step out in faith, he will act. And I love the verse in Psalm 115. It's like, our God is in heaven. He does all that he pleases. Now, if he wasn't 100% good, if he wasn't 100% perfect in all his ways, then that would be some scary power to wield, but God is so good, so faithful, so loving, so wonderful, that everything he does pleases him, but is for our good and for his glory. Like, how incredible is that? That he does all that he pleases, but all that he pleases is to our benefit. Like, I think that's incredible. So we can trust that as we step out in faith, as we pray, as we gather together, we can be expectant that he's gonna move amongst us because he said he will. And um, so, yeah, let's keep stretching those prayer muscles. And one thing that we do just to stretch a prayer muscle, although I'm realizing it's nearly March and we still haven't done it, is that we write an impossible prayer list for the year of just, God, unless you break in, unless you move, none of these things can happen. And um, I think there's maybe one or two things on it, but it's something to provoke us to do. But writing impossible prayer list, just being like, God, I'm gonna ask for this, but unless you do it, um, we're not gonna see it happen, but we can trust that he is at work. That's a really good point that Joe makes. We, we can have faith. You can write and pray impossible things. And we've seen that in the story of our marriage, in the story of this church. The fact that we're even meeting in a building like this would have seemed impossible to us when Joe and I and our family moved here eight years ago and we didn't know anyone in the city and our church was just us sitting in our home 
to be able to gather to worship God with a community of believers in a place like this uh, is just a wonderful gift from God. And it's proof that sometimes God just works in ways we can't imagine, we can't expect. And that's true, we can pray in faith because point number seven, we depend on the ongoing work of Jesus Christ. Yeah. As your faith is not rooted on what's possible in yourself. Your faith isn't rooted in what's, what you can see in the world around you. Your faith is rooted in what Jesus can do. You know, that's the story of this book. We said on week one, right at the start, the book is called the book of Acts, or sometimes it's called the Acts of the Apostles. But the best name for it would be the Acts of the risen Lord Jesus through his people by the Holy Spirit. That we can pray in faith because we're depending uh, on the work of Jesus, not on the work of ourselves. Mm. And we can expect results when we pray. We can expect God to move. We see here in this story, it says, um, you know, they finish praying and then verse 31, it says, this is just an astounding verse. When they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. See, when we pray, it might not be that the building shakes, but we can expect the Holy Spirit to come and fill us, to equip us for whatever challenge is lying in front of you. Where in your life do you need boldness this week? Where is it you think, I just, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this? Or even just being a Christian in your workplace, being a Christian in your family, I don't know how I'm going to do this. You can ask for boldness. Maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, but you think, I, I want to know what these people know. I wanna, how do I know God like they know God? Then ask for him to come. You can pray and expect him to move in your life. I love that um, as we pray, God draws near to us. So I love the promise in James 1 where it says that as you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. There's such an assurance for our hearts that as we come, as we gather expectant to meet with him, he does come and draw us to himself. And I'm not going to pretend like Matt said, like our prayer times in the mornings are like barely awake sometimes but we know it does us good and there's not always like fireworks or it feeling like incredible but God does come and bring just like a deep reassurance a peace like I do want to be in a building when we pray and it shakes like I want I want to see that happen for us but I know like the day-to-day -day normal is not always like that and that's okay but we can be assured that his promise is that as we draw near to him he will draw near to us and I don't know about you but I don't flourish very well in relationships if I'm not talking like for any of you know who me well I talk quite a lot and so if there's no talking it's then it's <laughs> then um, you know I'm married to someone who doesn't talk very much so it kind That's of works true. fine but um, <laughs> there's like um, yeah there needs to be conversation and God so kindly made a way for us to commune with him with Jesus 
by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can, it's his means of grace and it was his plan right from the start. We can go back to the Garden of Eden where it describes Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the day. And I want that to be what my life looks like, not just with those around me, but with Jesus, walking with him, talking with him. Prayer hasn't got to be this kind of, I've done this in the morning, checked it off and now I get on, but just constantly just knowing that like, as we look outside, like today is just, a glorious, beautiful day. It says the heavens declare the work of his hands, like the glory of God. We can just look and have communion just as we walk with him in nature. I think I unhelpfully last year had made this really weird distinction between kind of secular and sacred of like, I do my God stuff and then I get on with the rest of the day. And it's like, wow, this is a really wonky way to think. Like actually, he's inviting us to walk with him every moment of every day, um, making us aware through nature, making us aware through friends, making us aware through just his daily provision to us. So just, yeah, I guess like my excitement and my invitation of today is to invite you into this intimacy that is available to us through Jesus. He's made a way for us and not to just know stuff about God, but to know him intimately, to walk with him and, um, yeah, just to allow him to deepen our relationship with him. Yeah, that's so important. We can, we can draw near to God because he's won the victory. Yeah. That's, even in this passage, they're confident in that. He, that. As they pray, they quote from Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage? The people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed and they say, for truly in the city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus. Goes on to say, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. See, they're aware that these forces had gathered against Jesus. And it felt like the kings of the earth, the rulers, were gathered together against the Lord, his yeah. anointed. And yet they were only doing what God allowed whatever his hand and plan had predestined. God was sovereign over the whole event of Jesus' death and resurrection. And now through that, he's, he's won this entry that we get to have. As Joe was saying, we can draw near to God because of the victory of Jesus. Your entire prayer life, your whole relationship with God is rooted in that that Jesus died and rose again and now we can be with him. And we can read that verse from Psalm 27 and we can know it's now true. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. See, that was David's desire. One thing I've asked, one thing I've sought after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. And yet we can read that Psalm with confidence (laughs) that that prayer has been answered that David's request I just want to dwell in the house of God Jesus has said yes come in Mm. come and dwell with me come and enjoy me I'm going to pray and then Sasha's going to and the band are going to lead us Jesus we we just thank you so much we thank you so much that you've made a way for us to draw near to you that there's no, there's no temple in Jerusalem that we have to go to seek you now. 
that we can know you right here today, that we can draw near to you and we can know that you first draw near to us. Jesus, that you won a victory for us. You've won a, a way for us to know you, to communion with you, to enjoy you. And whenever we talk about prayer, Jesus, we always want that to be at the center of it. Yeah. It's just being with our Father. And we want to do that today. We, just as we worship right now, we just want to bring our lives to you and submit everything to you and just say, you're, you're the king, you're on the throne. We love you. Would you come fill us with your spirit? Help us for everything we need. Yeah. Let's all uh, stand to our feet and Sasha's going to lead us. Mm-hmm.